0: Okay, recording, go. Ah, yes, (laughs) the bar, (laughs) welcome back to it. Sitting next to me as usual is a huffed and puffed Georgia Dixon.
1: Yes, yes, everyone, hello, happy to be back again. Justin is right on the money. I'm struggling to get some words out here, quite breathy. We're recovering from the basketball match that we just had.
0: Yes, apologies for the lackadaisical uh, intro. We uh, just had a UTS-LSS social match playing in the UTS comp against other UTS teams. Uh, Pleased to report, for all that asked, that we did get a big W, one from two. Georgia (laughs) Dixon's first game, the big signing, take us through it.
1: Yes, it was a great match. We came out from the beginning winning and it didn't stop. There were a few tight moments where we were neck and neck with the other team, but mm. as per usual, we came out on top. Yeah, I when
0: don't... you say as per usual, it's our first win. but As per my
1: usual, <laughs> I don't per, think it's a coincidence that my first game is the one where we win.
0: Fair enough. You're one from one. A uh, big shout out to uh, the super coach, Sammy, the super coach, Kotsarkas. That's her nickname, not her middle name. Double um, super
1: coach. She's that much of a super coach double, there.
0: <laughs> if you didn't know already, she's a super coach. Uh, man of the match, uh, player of the match, I should say, in a mixed team. Carl Paranello, fantastic, leaves it all on the field. Rocked up two hours beforehand, doesn't leave till sunset. Uh, we've got some absolute superstars, some great up and coming talents. I'm sure they'll all get a shout out at some point.
1: And you'll Um, see them on your TV screens playing in the NBA very soon. Yeah,
0: well, I think think a few. I think Maddie Sherbin is uh, talking about potentially going into the NBA. But, um, look, if anyone is interested in social sport, we uh, encourage you to reach out to the LSS. It's good fun. Great for you. If you're someone like me who doesn't really enjoy the cardio at the gym, I mean, (laughs) that's most people, I feel, play some social sport because uh, it's a great way to stay fit and... uh,
1: a good time to meet other people as well. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if you don't know how to play at all. Today was my first game playing basketball ever. I know it was Justin's last week. So come check it out. Yes. Yeah.
0: Really no understatement that we don't know how to play at all. (laughs) But uh, now that we've spoken dribble and gotten our breath back, uh, we we have someone on the podcast today that I think we look up to quite a lot, Georgia, someone that we've been looking forward to record with for a while, uh, let's take us through his CV.
1: Yes, so he became a solicitor in 2012 and was called to the bar in 2015, where he has appeared in many, many different courts, such as the Supreme Court of New South Wales and the full federal court. He also has a very diverse practice and has worked on matters involving, and lock yourself in for this big list, commercial, contract, equity, insolvency, property, tax, wills and estates, family, criminal, and if he hasn't done enough already, also building and construction law matters. Wow. You may see him around campus because he's also a UTS lecturer and could be teaching you commercial equity, civil procedure, evidence, or ethics for the UTS Bar Preparation Program. Please welcome to the bar our very esteemed guest. He's on our podcast, which is a different bar to what he is used to, but welcome to The Bar, Bryce. How are you going today?
2: I'm well. How are you guys?
1: Good, good. Thank you for being a guest today. We're very honoured and excited to have you on to the podcast. And I'm sure our listeners are very excited to hear about The Bar.
0: Yes, we know, Bryce, that as much as you are a uh, a very professional man, you're also quite a fun man. And uh, we have to ask you the question, if you were a drink at The Bar, what drink would you be?
2: Oh, look, um, I I I'd probably have to... St- uh, say I, I would actually be gunpowder green tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. right. look, the, the reason I say that, look, it's a stimulating uh, drink. It goes the distance, and uh, largely because uh, at the bar I drink so much of it, I think I'm basically half gunpowder green tea. At point <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'd have to say gunpowder green tea.
0: We've we've got a little stock of it in the uh, law student society office, which is which is funny. It might must be a uh, a key to becoming a great barrister.
2: Yeah, look, I, there's something to it, and and certainly um, I find that the, the 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 caffeine effect of the gunpowder green tea lasts a lot longer than just that coffee. So um, <laughs> that might tell you something about the bar.
1: Good to know. It sounds so much more exciting than just a normal green tea. Yes, gunpowder green tea going yeah, to the bar. Yeah, yeah, it does
2: have a nice ring to it. Gunpowder green tea. You can you can say I drink gunpowder green tea with pride. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, still probably makes for quite a quiet night at the bar when when everyone else is uh is drinking. You know. <laughs>
2: beverages <laughs> yeah yeah look i um i avoid alcohol whenever i can i i just because um uh, in my experience um alcohol and stressful jobs yeah. don't mix well don't mix yes. so uh, look i i yeah i used to drink um but uh i just found it you know you were healthy or not mm. so yeah
1: Very actually true. some of my young
2: students who worked for me led me down that path
1: oh, um, there you go you know
2: because we used to go out and they wouldn't drink and i thought there was something in it so yeah. um I followed their lead,
1: yeah. There's some good tips from Bryce. Gunpowder green tea. We'll have to have one after this. Yes,
0: absolutely. Well, Bryce, just before uh, we started recording, we were chatting a little bit about, you know, you personally, and I was interested to hear that your wife, Amy, is also a barrister. She is? How does that make your your home life, two barristers in the house? Uh, Look, it actually
2: actually works well um, because the bar has uh, a number of unique pressures Mm -hmm. and big because we both understand what those pressures are um, we can be quite forgiving of each other mm. and the only danger is that we can be too forgiving um, insofar as you know if Amy's got a lot on um, I will tend to work long hours um, and then vice versa and so sometimes you can miss out on the natural downtime um, mm. that you might have in your practice when you follow your rhythms if they don't necessarily match precisely um, Amy's rhythms mm. or the other person's rhythms But um, look, Amy's two doors down um, (laughs) here in Chambers with me. Um, And so, um, yeah, look, we get on well, we work well together. Um, But life at the bar is very individual. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we certainly get enough space and all that kind of thing. But that's probably a long answer to your question. But yeah, it's working well so far.
1: We like to hear it. It's good to hear. Maybe we'll go on a trip back in time then. And so you started your career, I believe, studying English. Why did you switch to law?
2: Uh, well, I, I was sort of always thinking about doing law, mm-hmm. but um, I had always, I'd had i also wanted for a long time to do a PhD um, in the humanities. Um, I really wanted that broad education. I really enjoyed what I was getting out of the humanities. I felt the humanities were sort of teaching me how to think, um, and they were teaching me a whole range of different skills that I, I really was enjoying learning. And I thought about whether or not I should just go straight into vocational um, study and decided I would probably regret more looking back in my life, the Mm -hmm. things I didn't do as opposed to things that I did do. It's a good moment. And I knew if I went straight into studying law, I would never, ever go back and take four (laughs) years to write a PhD. So um, I decided while I was in my 20s, that was the time to do it. And that's Mm. what I did.
1: And what was your PhD on?
2: Uh, It was on virtue ethics um, and it effectively traced some Aristotelian ideas um, through to the Middle Ages. And Mm -hmm. then I looked at how uh, those ideas made their way into um, the hands of uh, Chaucer in the 14th century.
0: Right, so wow. just, a, just a bit of light reading there.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, it was, yeah, so, um, yeah, virtue ethics is something that I, I have a real interest in, mm. and, um, yeah, look, I, the PhD was fabulous. I absolutely, mm. it was one of the best times of my life writing that PhD. Right. So if, if anyone out there is thinking of doing it, um, yeah, I would, I would highly recommend it.
0: Right, oh, and yeah. then, so you make the call after that to go into law, Bryce, and why, why the bar specifically? What drew you to being a barrister?
2: Um, Well, by that stage, um, uh, my wife was already a barrister. I talked about it with her even before then that that was what I'd wanted to do. Um, In doing the PhD, I just found myself teaching rhetoric um, at Sydney University and all of it fit together. Um, So I had decided even before I went to law school that I was going to go to law school and and go straight to the bar. Well, go to the bar as soon as I could, Mm. um, practically speaking after law school.
1: And how did you find the switch from solicitor to becoming a barrister?
2: Um, they're very different career uh, careers and they do require very different skills. Mm. Um, I found well, I worked for two years as a solicitor. and um, I did that because I didn't want to rush in and go straight to the bar and I wanted to learn the skills of being a solicitor to know what' was happening on that side of the fence to have that experience. Um, I also felt that straight out of law school, I just didn't have enough knowledge to do what would be required of me in um, practice as a barrister. Mm -hmm. So I worked for a firm which uh, got some high-end clients um, and it was a firm that had some great legal work. I worked under some really good people there and spent two years doing that. Um, And then when I felt that I just had the confidence to jump across to the bar, I did that. But it's a very different life at the bar. Um,
1: mm.
2: I can go into detail about that if you'd like or we can...
1: Yeah, tell us yeah all about what it's like to be a barrister, I guess.
2: Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, certainly a stressful career.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you're, you, you're very independent um, as a solicitor. Um, when you're in the firm, um, you know, you could draft an advice and then you could hand it to the partner of 20 years' experience and they would, you know, tell you if they liked it, didn't like it, whatever. Um, And then it would go to the client, and it would have that stamp of the firm. and so there was that you had that sense of being very much um, protected, mm. whereas at the bar, solicitors and firms, big and small, will come to you for advice um, mm-hmm. or to do things and, and sometimes you're sort of thinking to yourself, "Wow, this is a lot of responsibility. And he's <laughs> need a to know what you're doing partner in a big firm with you know twenty years experience, and he's coming to me for a written advice which yeah. he mm-hmm. and his clients are going to rely on, and that can be a, a really daunting a really daunting thing. So you're very much on your own at the bar. There's no one really, other than colleagues on your floor, who may or may not help, but there's no one really to talk to, uh, to turn to,
1: mm-hmm. So do you find that lonely or do you think that there is some support networks out there for you?
2: Uh, look, certainly, I mean, it's often said that the bar is the largest firm in Sydney.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, uh, I mean, really, I mean, I've had a colleague come in here today to ask me something. Um, and a week earlier I was in his chambers asking him something. So you're not lonely, uh, but what you are is is very independent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has his practice, I have my practice, and while we can ask each other things, um, I'm certainly not going to be checking his work and he's certainly not going to be checking mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, effectively barristers are independent. We, we live in these monastic cells um, that are our chambers. Um you know, um, and that's our life. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to go to the bar, you have to be, you have to have the confidence to do that, and you have to be someone who likes working uh, in that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. And we know, you know, we know for a fact that a lot of our listeners are interested. I must confess, it's sort of one of my long term goals, and Georgia working for a barrister now as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how much time you actually spend in court? Is that a myth, or are you in court quite a bit? Um, look you in terms of the amount of time you
2: spend in court it's not a huge amount of time um largely because barristers um provide a huge amount of advice work as well as court work so i spend my days um you know uh, providing advice to firms from you know local um small firms to medium sized to larger firms will all come to you for advice and it might well be You know, an advice on prospects of success, on evidence, um, on a a document, on a settlement deed. So you spend a lot of time doing that. Mm. Then when you are heading off to court, you've usually written your advice on prospects and everything else. Then you've got all the evidence to settle um, and you prepare to go to court, which means you have to leave no stone unturned. And then a lot of the time the matter is settled. Mm-hmm. So, you spend a lot of time in chambers. So, I've got a hearing next week. Um, I will be doing probably two straight days of cross-examination. Um, and I fully expect that I will spend... I mean, I've started the brief. i picked up the brief today. So, I'll be doing... Um, I spent most of the day on it. I'll be spending all week on it, most of next week on it um, as well, in amongst other work that I have to get out the door. And that's just for the two days in court at the end of next week. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's the sort of balance you can tend to strike. Um, And I've had a number of of hearings this year that have fallen away because the parties have reached agreement, notwithstanding that we have been preparing for a hearing for
1: six months or more. Wow, wow. That's a lot of paid hours to you that's not going to be put to use, isn't it?
2: Well, but it is though. It Mm -hmm. is put to use because if the matter settles, if people get the advice, I mean, people go to court when things go wrong. So if you've given good advice Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the... The documents are all drafted properly. Um, I do a lot of commercial work and so in those circumstances matters don't get um, brought to court for argument Mm -hmm. because things have gone the way that the parties have have intended for them to go.
1: And you said you got given a brief today that you're then doing a hearing for next week. Do you often have short period time ones or do you work on longer matters or is it a mix?
2: No, actually, that came up uh, in circumstances where I had another matter which did settle. Um, and that meant that I had a, 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 a sort of a, a part in my diary where I was available. Um, a matter came in and my clerk said, do you want to do this matter? It's it's last minute. And because I'd had another matter settle, um, I was able to say, yeah, I can I can fit that into that period next week. Um, and so that's how that, that came about. Sometimes you get things at the last minute, sometimes solicitors will call you at the last minute. Um, but the more time I've spent at the bar, the longer the lead time for hearings has become. So when you first go to the bar, people will throw you, um, you know, that, um, that hot potato, as it were, <laughs> that you really don't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you go up there and find that, you know, um, you, you cop it. But the longer you spend at the bar, the the better your relationships with your solicitors Mm -hmm. um, and you train them and they train you and eventually you get to that point where you do get proper lead times. I mean, I've I've never been briefed by this solicitor, for example, on this last minute brief before.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the hot potato, if I think back to the days of learning ethics at um, uni, there's something called the cab rank rule. Can you tell us a bit about that and whether in real life it actually is like I would read it in a textbook?
2: It is like you'd read it in a textbook. So, mm-hmm. um, there are one of the things you have to do at the bar is you have to take on matters that you don't really want to take on. And whether that is because you don't like the client or you don't like what the client has done, um, or just because you don't like the um, prospects. So, when you're at law school, you get to write your, your essays and you get to choose the arguments you put, all that kind of thing. Um, At the bar, you do have to take those matters. And and the cabaret principle forces you to do it. Um, I mean, our bar rules tell us, uh, the solicitors don't say this, but the bar rules do. We have to be fearless. Mm -hmm. We have to take briefs on and we have to argue them. And I have gone before a court and I've had a judge say to me, you know, Mr Douglas Baker, X, Y, Z. Um, And it's, of course, exactly what I've said to the client in, in a written advice, that the judge is likely to say X, Y, Z. And I still have to run it. I still have to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have to just stand up and, and, and take what's, you know, what's likely to fall from from the bench. And that is hard. But the great thing about the rank principle, I like it, because it means that people can access... I mean, it would be a difficult situation if barristers picked and chose mm-hmm. um, who yeah, they were definitely. going to act for. And it means that a small firm or a large firm can simply call up a barrister and get that barrister. It's not like, you know... Um, You know, Sydney's top five barristers are all effectively in the pockets of one firm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a little guy can call up and get Brett Walker, you know, Whose offices are just over the yeah. over yeah. the road here wow. uh, that I look into, um, <laughs> and his pot collection. I mean, you, you can <laughs> call up and, and get those things, sure. uh, as in get that person to act for you. So the cabaret pricksal, I really like it, mm-hmm. and it does. It is it is in operation at the farm.
0: It, it sounds like a, a sort of rewarding profession, Bryce. Do you do you get that sense that you're really helping people and helping people that might not have the opportunity to sort of help themselves?
2: Yeah, sometimes you do. Um, you know, sometimes you really do feel for your client and you are really happy to be able to give them the help that they need. Um, I had a, a matter a couple of weeks ago where I was acting for an 80-year-old lady um, and we got a really good outcome for her and it was really nice to to be able to do that. Um, and then at the same time, you also have to act for people that, you, you know, you would rather not have anything to do with <laughs> yeah. Um you know, so that's that's life at the bar and and, and certainly that process does toughen you up um, and I think it toughens you up in, in possibly
0: a good way. Sure. And can I put you on the spot, Bryce? What's the best the best day that you've had at the bar? What's sort of the, the most that you've ever felt that sense?
2: Uh, look, I did a, a... My best day at the bar was probably... Well, that sense in terms of representing someone. Uh, look, um, always when you've got a tricky case and you get someone you get someone what they need. Mm. Um, And I had a really tricky case. I won't go into the detail about it, but um, there was a a person who who was very much... it was an all or nothing game for them and if, if they were found to have done a particular thing it was really going to have a big impact on their professional career mm. um and we were we were able to ensure that the outcome um was such that that person you know wasn't going to lose their career um, and that was a really good uh, really good outcome for me and I really enjoyed that mm. so that was probably one of my my good days at the bar <laughs> in the context in which you you asked yeah. the question about helping people yeah. yeah uh but there have been other days which I've Enjoyed much more than that, I suppose, Mm -hmm. in in a different context of the bar.
1: Like, tell us another great moment.
2: Uh, Look, over the last uh, six months or probably closer to 12 months now, um, we ran a big case in WA. I think Mm -hmm. it was the largest water rights case in Australian history. Um, And we, we ran that case in October last year in a place called the Kununara, which is in WA, and it ran again earlier this year in March, I think it was. Um, that was a fabulous case. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was all about. I didn't know the Kununurra existed. Uh, it's just a remote area in, in WA, uh, up near Lake Argyle. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Lake Argyle existed either. And it's got a fresh water source. I think it's twenty times the volume of um, Sydney Harbour, but in freshwater. And they farm wow. up there on a massive scale.
0: Mm.
2: Um, and this case, we we're acting for a cooperative of just approximately a hundred farmers. Um, and they wanted to ensure their water rights for farming. And they farm up there on a massive scale. And, and that case involved uh, taking a, a judge and two other tribunal members on, for example, a seaplane. We flew, the, we <laughs> flew them over the, um, over the lake and we flew them over the, the farms simply because these, these farmers were farming thousands of hectares. And mm. until you've seen thousands of hectares planted, you, you just can't imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can't imagine the waterways that feed you know, hundreds of gigaliters of water to farmers. You've got to go and see it. So we did all that, and that was probably that. That hearing was probably my greatest experience um, at the bar so far.
1: Wow, that sounds so cool. I I can't even imagine one. Like, what is a gigaliter? I think. Well, yeah, you can't yeah, you can't, can't fathom
2: it. It's a lot, yeah. um, and just like you can't imagine a thousand hectares. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I was on the ground and the farmer said, "Well, in that paddock over there." We've got a thousand hectares of corn, mm.
1: um,
2: and it's not until you see it and you think, "I couldn't walk around that in four hours," yeah, that yeah. you have a sense of what what these things are. Which is, of course, exactly why we had to put um, uh, put the decision makers, as it were, in a plane and yeah. show them. Yeah, um, it's not. Nice. Yeah. We won the case, I should say. (laughs) Well, that's exciting. The plane trip was was worth it. It it all came down to the plane plane ride. (laughs) And I had a fabulous leader in that case, uh, Faye Ashworth, and and she was a tremendous barrister to work for, and and she made a lot of wonderful strategic decisions.
1: Wow. At the risk of coming off such a great story, have you ever had a really tough day in court?
2: Yeah, a lot of days in court can be very tough mm. um, because um, court, I suppose, it's it's like an um, it's like a, an oral exam that you just have no idea what the questions are going to be,
1: mm.
2: um, and so yeah, I have had days in court which have been tough, um, but that's life. I mean, you have days in court where witnesses don't say what you expect them to say, uh, where they say the opposite of what you expect them to say. You have days in court where you think you have thought of everything and something comes up that you just haven't fully anticipated mm. and you just have to respond to that. Um, so, yeah, court is extremely difficult um, and um, it takes a, a lot of preparation and a lot of, um, a lot of experience and skill, I think, um, you know, to do well in court. So, yeah, there are hard days in court.
0: Sure. And uh, as, I suppose things have been even tougher recently with COVID. Has your job changed much with the restrictions?
2: Not a huge amount. Um, I mean, obviously, there's uh, telephone hearings, um, Microsoft Teams and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had done a little bit of um, a few little things by telephone just appearing uh, in more remote um, matters in tribunals and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's actually been quite quite fine. I mean, um, I was uh, at the beginning this year I, I would not have thought i could say this i appeared before uh, uh the chief um justice uh, chief judge in equity and also before justice hammerschlag this year on directions in both uh, before each of them yeah. in my pjs <laughs> um, so uh you know and just to you know just to uh uh you, you make it feel more comfortable for me to have done that in my PJs, i imagined that they were in their pjs as well yes. so, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. and, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Justice Hammershade said he was at home, so why not? I mean, you know, why not be in, his, be in his pink dressing gown or something or other? Who knows?
0: It's a real reliance on the technology. You don't want it dropping out at just the wrong time there. When people. No, it, it doesn't. I mean, the technology,
2: <laughs> I've not had any problem with it. I mean, yeah. we had a hearing um, that was scheduled to go ahead in the Supreme Court earlier this year. Uh, that actually settled. Um, but prior to the hearing going ahead, the um, associate got all the parties together, we tested all the technology in the week beforehand, we made sure it was all going to work and then, of course, on the Sunday afternoon, the matter settled. (laughs) So none of the technology was ultimately needed. Um, But it it all tends to work fairly well. There's a few hiccups in the system. Mm. You know, for example, when you're on... um, uh, Everyone calls in for a directions uh, hearing... And someone puts their phone on hold, which means that we've all got to sit there and listen to their hold music, (laughs) um, which, of course, frustrates the court no end. So uh, other than those little glitches, Mm -hmm. I found it all to work really well. It means I can work a lot more from home. I mean, I teach um, evidence at uh, UTS by Zoom, which is very convenient, although recently I've been doing it in chambers all of last semester with lockdowns. I Mm. did that exclusively from home virtually.
1: Well, we do know that you're a teacher at UTS. How do you find balancing being a barrister and also teaching?
2: Yeah, uh, look, it's easier than you think only because I don't do a lot of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually teach because I like teaching. Um, you know, I by nature, I'm gentle and patient, um, <laughs> although having come to the bar, I've, uh, I've learnt um, you know, to toughen up substantially, but but I actually <laughs> look. I, I taught when I was doing my PhD, and I, I actually fell in love with teaching. Then I mm-hmm. just enjoy it. So I mean, really, I my teaching commitments are about an hour and a half a week. Sure. Um, I just hang on to that one that one commitment uh, only because I enjoy it. I just enjoy interacting with the students um, and and sharing and sharing knowledge. Mm.
1: Well, I have a friend that's been in one of your classes or lectures, and she says you always tell really good stories. So, (laughs) listeners, listen out for Bryce's stories if you have him. Do you have a reader? since you like teaching so much or no
2: I don't I mean I've been at the bar five years and um I think you've got to have been at the bar seven years before oh, okay. you can take on a, a reader um Amy had a reader last year um because mm-hmm. Amy's been at the bar a few more years than me uh, six years more than me in fact um so she's had a reader but no I haven't had a reader yet um although I've moved plenty of admissions and um <laughs> I suspect in due course I will have a reader. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went out with coffee with someone the other day and he's thinking of coming to the bar in the next few years and I've told him um, that to the extent that I can, I'll certainly look after him. So he he has worked for me before. So it may well be that he would be my first reader. Who knows?
1: I've just realised that a lot of people who don't work for Barristers probably don't know what a reader is. Can you explain that for our listeners quickly?
2: Yeah, um, when you first go to the bar, um, you,
1: you have to uh, not only be connected to a chambers, but you have to uh, nominate
2: two um, experienced practitioners who aren't silk, um, who effectively will guide you through your first 12 months um, at the bar. And there's a number of things that they will do, um, not only informally, whereby they tend to give you work to make sure that you don't starve <laughs> in your first 12 months at the bar, but they will do other things. So they will, will um, uh, make decisions about certain things that you might want to do at the bar, and they will say, no, not in your first year. I don't, I'm not going to give you permission to do this, that, or the other. And they also, you work very closely with them because there's a lot of things that will happen very quickly when you come to the bar, and you can get in trouble pretty quickly. So they will, um, they will help you to, uh, well, they'll, they'll effectively just guide you through your first 12 months at the bar.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Bryce, I'm interested, you're in a sort of unique position here where you are having a little bit of interaction with students, but you're also sort of seeing the real world, real application of law. What advice, just general advice, would you give to up and coming law students right now for succeeding in in the legal world?
2: Uh, I mean, the legal world is a very competitive world. Um, I think you have to know that. Um, you know, we mint a lot of lawyers, we'll, we mint um, a lot more lawyers than society needs, and they're not all going to find work in the law. Um, so it's, it's very competitive and you have to work really very hard to do well at the law. Um, certainly to have a good reputation in the law, you have to work hard um, because there's a lot of people who are very bright. Um, you know, I can walk around these chambers here and everyone in it is bright. Um, and so to stand out or to succeed, um you have to be competitive I mean why would someone send me a brief if they can send it to someone else um you know I've got to be able to do a good job so working hard in terms of what students can do now one of the things that I notice is that students don't read cases actually read cases Mm -hmm. um so what they do is they rely on everything they find on the internet um and you know that that will get you through law school um but then you come unstuck super quickly when you get to the firm Um, because the partner, you'll put something on the partner's desk and the partner will read the case and the partner will say, what about X, Y, and Z, and you won't know, because you won't have read all the case. You'll have just read the head note and someone else's summary of it. And and similarly at the bar, Um, Mm -hmm. as I said to my students this year, if you go before a Supreme Court judge and you haven't read the case uh, that you're relying on, Mm -hmm. uh, the chances are they have, because the chances are they probably wrote it, uh, and they (laughs) will certainly let you know what they think of you for for that. So certainly read your cases, uh, be prepared to work hard, prepared to uh, work in a competitive environment and if they're thinking of coming to the bar work on your contacts now um, Mm -hmm. because at the bar you could sit here all day long and no one would know you were here Um, you've got to make those contacts for yourself Um, you very rarely get work from the floor I mean I talked earlier about a brief I got from the floor they are very very few and far between Um, so you really have to make um, your own own connections uh, you have to be prepared for the highs and lows of being in a small business, which is what you are. Cash flow is often a problem. You can be billing wonderfully over the course of a month, uh, and particularly when you come to the bar, people just don't pay you. Um, so you can have a lag of up to twelve months for people to pay you. And right. certainly, once you know, once you're sort of living hand to mouth, as it were, when you come to the bar, that can be really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, you've got to depend on yourself at the bar. There's no one else to depend on. So you'd have to be self-reliant. And they're they're the sorts of things I think you should be starting to think about. If you want to come to the bar and you're a student, you know, um, they're some of the things that um, you'd want to be able to do. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. And something that we have is we do a lot of mooting here at UTS. Do you think that that's good practice for uni if you want to become a barrister?
2: Yeah, I do. I think mooting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I have adjudicated moots and I also adjudicate uh, mock trials um, for high school students, again, because I quite enjoy teaching. <laughs> um, and so, uh, look, certainly you, you in mooting you learn many of the skills, a great many of the skills um, that you'll need as a barrister and, and that is a process. But, I mean, this partly you have to be very bright to, to do this job you're effectively a specialist. You know, people are coming to you for specialist advice, so you need to be bright. But there's also a skill aspect to it as well. Um, presenting an argument in court is a skill as much as it is anything else. And certainly mooting helps you to develop that skill. So, yeah, I think mooting is, is great.
0: Fantastic. we well, have heard it from us a few times, but if you didn't take that advice, take Bryce's because he's, uh, he's been there, done that. Um, Bryce, we have to thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a fantastic experience. It's been wonderful to talk
1: to you both. Yeah, thank you for teaching us uh, a uh-huh. lot more, <laughs> a lot more about being a barrister. Uh, and I guess we'll wrap up now. Yes, absolutely. I've been Georgia Dixon.
0: I've been Justin.
1: And we'll see you next time at the bar.